Change doesn't happen in a vacuum. Whether you're working on creating positive changes in your personal life or maybe in your workplace or your community, your efforts will be more likely to succeed if you're working in a supportive environment. And you'll often hear this referred to, especially in workplace settings, as creating a culture of wellness. But our efforts to instill a culture of wellness very often miss the mark. And today we're going to talk about why and how to fix that. All right. All right, everyone, take your seats or lace up your sneaks. We're about to get started. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel. And in this show, we talk about what it takes to create healthier mindsets and habits in our own lives, as well as how we can create healthier communities and workplaces. Whether you're working on your own health and well being or promoting healthy behaviors is your job, we're going to talk about what works, what's hard, what's needed, and what's next. Let's jump in. There's somebody I want you to meet. Rebecca Johnson is a co-founder of Vital Solutions. It's a woman-owned consulting training and coaching firm. She's also worked as an individual and family therapist, a corporate trainer, and a performance and leadership coach. And I met Rebecca a few months back when we were both presenting at the Healthy Worksite Summit that was sponsored by the Association of Washington Cities. Her work is organized around and informed by a set of questions that I think anyone listening to this podcast is going to appreciate. Why do we do what we do? How can we connect with others more fully? How can we make the most of the time we have? In the conversation I'm about to share with you, we talk about what it actually takes to create the conditions that support lasting positive change, including some of the things that we often skip over at our peril. And while this has obvious applications and implications for those of us who are engaged in creating healthier workplaces and workforces, it also applies to those of us who are trying to create wellness in our own lives and our families and maybe our communities. These insights can reduce frustration and lead to more effective action. And you know, as someone who works as a health and behavioral coach, I especially appreciated Rebecca sharing how working with a coach helped her tend to her own personal health and well-being. As coaches, sometimes people think we've got it all figured out and we do know what is required. But even those of us who are in this line of work still sometimes need someone else to offer that insight, that perspective and support. Okay, that's enough for me. Let's get into the conversation. Welcome to the Change Academy, Rebecca. Thank you, Monica, for having me. So there was a great moment in the keynote address that I saw you deliver in Seattle a couple of months ago, and you brought up a slide that had a whole list of different things, things like have a meditation room available, put some ping pong tables in the break room, offer mindfulness sessions. These were all things that might happen in a workplace. And your question to the audience is, which of this list of things would definitely have an impact on the culture of wellness at your workplace? And of course, I and I think most of the other people in the audience looked at that list and thought, well, pretty much all of them. But of course, the answer was none of them. Mm -hmm. And can you explain then the the distinction that you made between things that belong to a culture of wellness and things that belong to a climate of wellness and why it's important for us to understand that differentiation? 
Yes, I'd be happy to. And the reaction that you and the audience have in Seattle is a reaction that most people have because there's a really big misunderstanding about what culture is. And the, the, the way I'm going to start is with an analogy that a colleague of mine shared with me many years ago, Rosie Ward from Salvino Partners, um, who's a great friend and mentor of mine. And she shared an analogy with me that was very helpful in understanding the difference between culture and climate. So the analogy is that imagine you are standing beside a rushing river and you look around the river and you see things. You see fish swimming in the river. You see big and little rocks. You see the water hitting the rocks and making little white water and bubbles. You see things floating in the river. You see things on the shore of the river. All of the things that you see in the river if we kind of make this analogy about the workplace, those would be climate. What you see in the river when you're able to point to and touch in the workplace, that's climate. Now, culture, if we go back to the river, is really about the current itself. So you can't step in the water and point to the current and say, there it is. You can only see the manifestation of the current. So if we think about this in the workplace, Culture is really the invisible things we can't see. Climate is the more tangible policies and elements of our physical environment. So the list of things in your slide, obviously, were those tangible things that we could see or point to mm-hmm. that belong maybe in or around uh, a culture that promotes wellness, but they are not the culture. So if it is so intangible, so invisible, how do we identify it? What Can we define it further? Mm-hmm. Yes. Culture is ultimately about the way we relate with each other. It's about the way we interact as human beings. And so maybe you can imagine maybe some concentric circles. Let's just say there's four of them. And in the the Concentric circle on the outside, the farthest one out, we could put mm-hmm. the word culture. On the circle underneath culture, we can put the word norms. So culture is really the sum total of the norms about the way people treat each other. And norms, of course, are just shared sets of behaviors. Mm-hmm. And the next circle in, we can put individual behaviors because how each of us acts individually results in the collective norms. And what's at the heart of individual behaviors is our inner operating systems, how we think and feel and what we value and how we make decisions. So when we're changing culture, we are actually changing the way that people relate with each other. And that requires that individuals and teams of people together kind of change their inner operating systems. So this, the implications of this are obvious in a workplace or an organizational setting where you and I sometimes do this work. But I think there's also a version of this that applies to us as individuals, as you're describing this. Okay. And many of the people listening to this podcast are really here pursuing their own well-being, their wellness, working on positive change in their life. And I think there's something really important for them to understand here too, which is we could surround ourselves with the trappings of the changes that we want to make or this life that we want to create and make the same mistake that we mistake the climate for the culture. So working through that target visual that you've just given us on the outside, 
are those accoutrements. Maybe it's the gym membership, right? Then going in, it's how we are relating to the people in our personal lives. So maybe that's, okay, I got the gym membership, but I also have to negotiate with my partner some agreement about the childcare responsibility so that I actually have time to go to the gym. If we get, if we think that buying the exercise clothes and making the resolutions and purchasing the gym membership, those are all sort of, I like the word to use, accoutrements. They are things we might do. They're the equivalent to programs and resources and climate. But if we don't change the norms about the way that we relate with each other, mm-hmm. um, to use your example of the family, if the norm in your family is that you're the primary caretaker, and that means that there's not a lot of time for you to have for yourself to do things like go to the gym, those norms have to change. And the only way those norms change is if you individually change your behaviors. Maybe you start having a creating more clarity with your spouse and children about what you need. Maybe you start honoring and enacting boundaries better. But the only way that you're actually going to be able to change your own individual behaviors and thus the behavior of people around you is if you upgrade your own inner operating system. So you have to do the work around thinking, feeling, values, and decision-making in order to change your behaviors and change the norms and get to the ultimate well-being goal that you want. What do you think about that? I love that. And I think the listeners are going to feel like they're on very familiar territory. And I think whenever we have a situation where we have committed to a certain behavior or a certain set of behaviors, and we find that we are not following through, it can be fruitful to look at, well, what's you know, missing? Is there a mismatch mm-hmm. between my, I'll call it ambition, you know, and the norms in the whatever organization I'm operating in? Or is this really about my thoughts about what I am allowed to make time for, what is important to me? So so when we see those mismatches between what we say we want to do, what we think we're going to do, and what we're actually doing, I think that gives us a nice map to be looking for the piece that's out of place. Yes. And usually that requires some pretty significant inner work and Mm -hmm. rethinking old stories, doing different things with emotions, um, making sure our behaviors are in alignment with values, changing the way that we make decisions. And that is usually what's missing when someone has really, truly, deeply wants to achieve some well-being goal, but is repeatedly not. It's not because they're not, they're lacking in willpower or commitment or not because they don't really want it. It's because the inner work that is necessary to actually change the behaviors and change the norms hasn't yet been done. I love that formulation. And it, I think it makes it, it explains why we make this mistake, why we sometimes mistake, uh, we overlook culture and focus on those outer trappings because they are more tangible, more obvious, maybe in some way easier for us to address but there's no getting around having to kind of drill down into those inner layers. At the same time, I want to say, isn't something better than nothing? <laughs> you know, like yes, we can maybe start with some of that outer ring and and work inward. So it's not that it's not worth making those changes to our climate. Let's say to continue with that motif, we just can't stop there. Yes, so. Where I think the the friction happens is that many people, because they don't understand what culture is and how to change it, 
change the climate or add programs and resources and then are frustrated by mm -hmm. the fact that the the real kind of deep down important stuff that affects our quality of life isn't changing and they either don't understand why or are frustrated that it's not. So there's not definitely change climate if you can, but know, be clear to yourself and others about what you're doing, which is you are improving workplace climate and that will support future cultural transformation, but it isn't, it isn't cultural transformation itself. So we might say it's necessary, but not sufficient. Yes. Great way to say it. And I also want to just translate everything that you just said into that personal realm. So instead of a workplace, it can be your household. Instead of an organization, it can be your family. And if you are in a leadership position in your family and are trying to create a culture of well-being, for example, for the benefit of your kids, the climate is going to be important, you know, making sure healthy foods are available, but the norms, what you are, the behaviors that you as a parent or leader are modeling for those kids yes. is going to be just as important as the as the physical changes in the environment. So just to highlight that everything that we're talking about here can be applied in, in a number of, of different scenarios. Yeah. And you just used an important word that I want to underscore, which is modeling. So in the organizational landscape, changing culture is about modeling and rewarding a certain type of behavior. And that's also true around our own individual well-being and our family well-being. That at mm -hmm. the heart of it, we can um, get the gym membership and buy the exercise clothes. But if we're not modeling and rewarding clear communications with those we need support from and honoring boundaries and doing our inner work, then the accoutrements, I love that word, the things you bought and, and the goals don't happen because you are not modeling and rewarding the right type of behavior. You know, there was another thing that you brought up in your talk that I thought was really interesting. You were talking about an organization's hierarchy of needs, and you were sort of borrowing on Maslow's concept of an individual's hierarchy of needs. Like before we can worry about things like our job satisfaction, we have to make sure that our basic needs for security, food, shelter are met. Um, and I think most people are familiar with that from, you know, their intro to psych courses. And you were translating translating that into an organization that an organization has a similar hierarchy of needs. So for those who weren't in the room then, explain where wellness and well-being fits into an organization's hierarchy of needs. How high up the pyramid is it? And I'm also curious to know whether it is in a different location in the organization's hierarchy than it might be in an individual's hierarchy. I'm glad you're bringing this up. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you think about it, is really all about well-being of the individual. Mm -hmm. So, of course, it starts with our physical safety and security. Do we have food, shelter, and water? And the pyramid sort of works its way up through what we might consider our mental, emotional, and social well-being needs. The further up the pyramid a person is able to actualize, the greater their well-being. And, of course, the top of that is self actualization. So very much focused on individual fulfillment. Yes. And do you know what is interesting I learned about Maslow a couple of years ago is that actually near the end of his life, Maslow rethought his pyramid, but for whatever reason, didn't have time to make it as well known that that he thought self-actualization is not the top of the pyramid. If he could redo it again, huh. he thought I would add another element that, it, that goes beyond individual self-actualization 
and is about contributing to and helping others actualize. Just a little interesting tidbit. Mm. So in terms of what, how we relate this to the organization, if you want this, this pyramid that I presented at the conference is called the Thriving Organization Pyramid. And so at the top of that pyramid, the very tip top of it, we, we list wellness programs and resources. But, but it's not that individual wellness is only addressed at the top of the pyramid. In fact, all of the elements on the pyramid in some way positively impact well-being. So way down at the bottom was culture. If I work in a real thriving culture that's humanistic and where I feel valued and supported and there's a lot of psychological safety, that improves my well-being. If I work on a team where effective communication is alive and well, my well-being is improved. So although at the top of the organizational pyramid is the words well-being programs and resources, the whole pyramid is about contributing to the well-being of the individuals in the organization. Well, I think what it's sort of a, another way of presenting that same truism that if we just start with the programs, the resources, the accoutrement, we may not have the structural support that we need in order to get the benefits of them. So it's not that we get to them last. It's just that we, and, and again, I'm thinking of how this translates into our individual efforts. It's just that we build them on a foundation. But I, I really appreciate your insight that although it may occupy you know, a higher level of the pyramid, its roots go all the way down to the first level. Yes. And there's nothing on the pyramid that isn't in some way about individual well-being. And you're right that those programs and resources are important, but they're not going to be able to fulfill their potential unless those programs and resources are happening in an organization where these other needs are also being worked. What I love about these different frameworks that that you've presented is that it just gives us new ways to look at the same old challenges that we are constantly engaged with as we go through life. How can we make things work better? How can we create more successful interactions and, and outcomes, whether that's in our own health or our households or our careers or our, our workplaces? And just having these frameworks is so useful because it it can help us do a little analysis, a little diagnosis, maybe sneak up and look at something from a, from a different angle, which often reveals something that we hadn't seen before. Yeah. So to the extent that we may not be the CEO of whatever organization that we are operating in, that could, I'm thinking of our workplaces, but also again, our households, our neighborhood associations, like whatever it is, whatever organization that we are participating in. We're not the only ones that are calling the shots. So my question is, when we see an absence of the elements required for true culture change, how do we initiate that? I know that you have done a lot of work on the kinds of conversations that we need to be able to have in our workplaces. I see this also a lot in my work with individuals who feel like there are conversations that they need to have with the people they live with in order to make it possible for them to make the changes that they'd like to create on a very individual basis. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how we start and successfully execute those kinds of conversations. 
Yeah. So if you are in an organization where you feel like there's a misalignment between the culture you want to be working in and the culture that exists, we'll start in the workplace and then we can talk about family and individual. The very first thing that we can always focus on, no matter what is happening around us, is that we are modeling and rewarding the behaviors we want to see in other people. So if you work in a culture where people just walk in the office in the morning and don't say hello to each other, you can make an effort to walk in and make eye contact and smile and say good morning. The A person who's very committed to modeling and rewarding behaviors that result in a thriving culture generates an energy that is contagious and that can help other people pick up on it. So the first point I want to underscore is that even if you had influence nowhere else in the organization, you always have influence over you and what you model and reward has effects on other people around you. And I want to just point out that there are sometimes ways that we unintentionally reward behaviors that we actually do not want to reinforce. Yes. Uh, And that goes to what I think you were referencing earlier about being able to set boundaries, whether that's you know, allowing people to interrupt you when you're in the middle of another project instead of setting a standard for, hey, you know, we're going to allow people to concentrate on what they're doing. I will model that. But if you interrupt me, I will also ask you to wait until I finish with what I'm doing. So just to say that sometimes that what may seem like the path of least resistance, and I can think of a thousand examples of how this plays out in families too, Sometimes it feels like the path of least resistance is just to roll with it, but consider what you are actually rewarding yes. and what and whether that is supporting what you're trying to create. Yeah. And rewarding a behavior can be as simple as letting it go, even though it doesn't align with the culture and not saying something. You're absolutely right. Yes. Yes. So, but we do have ways to influence outside of just our own behavior. So the three words that I often talk with wellness and HR professionals about in terms of how to influence positive change in areas that might right now feel outside their area of influence are broaden, build, and practice. So broaden refers to broadening knowledge and skill sets. And what I mean by that is that if you want to influence change, for example, in the culture of your organization, you are probably going to need to know more than you currently know and be able to do different things. And so one of the questions that I ask wellness and HR professionals is, what one area would you like to broaden your knowledge and skill set in, in order to better influence change? Literally pick one and then tell me what is the very first thing you can do today, this week to get the ball rolling in that direction. So that's broadened. I'm smiling because again, people are going to feel like they're on very familiar territory here with, you know, focusing on the next step that you can take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And so then the, the the second way that we can focus on like, okay, what is under my charge right now is you can recognize that influence and change in any area, but particularly cultural transformation is not a solo endeavor. Nobody can do it alone. And we have to ask ourselves, what relationships and alliances do I need to build or nurture? Who do I want to be mentored by? Who am I going to need to partner with on this? Who do I need to know more about? What leaders do I need to get to know? So think about what people in your workplace could help you influence change. Where is the door most open? And then think about how you're going to meet or get to know better someone that you want to partner with. And then make a phone call, set up a meeting, introduce yourself. That's number two. It strikes me that that would also be great advice for someone who is looking to create change in, say, their 
profession or their industry would reach outside whatever organization or if they're working as a as a sole practitioner, you know, reading, reaching outside to others yes, and asking the same questions. Who can I learn from? Who would I like to be mentored by in order to create change? Um, you know, this happens a lot in my industry of nutrition and dietetics. There's a lot of areas that we've identified as places where the culture needs to change. And I love that insight about looking around for people that we can form alliances with and learn from and offer something to, of course. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of individual well-being, something just occurred to me. I, you know, like every other human being, am always on a journey about elevating my own well-being. And I recently got to a period in my life where my capacity, my inner operating system was just not enough to deal with the demand that was happening in my world professionally and personally. And so I realized I I had to reconnect with a coach, a, a, a well-being coach I'd worked with years ago because I needed someone to help me I knew what I needed to do, which was I needed to be more clear and I needed to honor boundaries, but I needed a person to talk that through with, to bolster me, to give me some insights. And then I also reconnected with a good friend who's just always a good ear for me. So we all have people that we can reconnect or connect better with that can help us influence change in our own lives, in our family's lives, and in our workplace for sure. Oh, I love that insight. And it sounded like, and there's one more we did yep. too. And the third yeah. one is practice intentional conversation. Hmm. So if you are going to influence change uh, in your workplace or in your family, you're going to have to talk with other people about it. Sometimes many people, sometimes repeatedly, sometimes at length. And so practicing intentional conversations means figuring out how, how I'm going to talk with the people that I need to partner with or whose blessing or buy-in I need, how I'm going to talk with them in a way that allows them to receive the information I want them to receive and to kind of join me in this journey. And many of us as human beings, we fall to one of two extremes. We either say nothing Mm -hmm. because we don't feel like we have the confidence or courage or skill, or we're worried about the ramifications of speaking up. And when we do that, usually frustration and resentment and dissatisfaction build. And then when we do go to say something, we just say all of the things all at once wrapped in lots of hot emotion. And oh, I've never done that. Never, Rebecca. right? Yeah, that doesn't resonate with you at all, right? If you're and I didn't being. do it this morning or ten minutes ago either. No. <laughs> so intentional conversations is learning the skills of regulating emotional energy, learning how to be succinct, practicing empathy, learning to listen and ask powerful questions, so that when you do have the opportunities and when you do need to speak up and you need to ask for someone's blessing or buy-in or or persuade them to think differently. You know how to communicate with a person in the way that allows them to receive best and join you as much as they can in the moment. And I wanted to underscore one thing that you said about these conversations is that they may have to happen repeatedly. Yes. Uh, You know, you can even do a good job with that conversation, but it may not be the only conversation that needs to be had. And sometimes I think we feel like, hey, I've said it. (laughs) Why is it not happening? And sometimes those conversations do need to happen repeatedly. And so just knowing that going in can, uh, can maybe forestall some frustration, but you have some wonderful resources that you've put together in your consulting practice that you share and that you've published. We do. So um, Rosie and I wrote a paper that is about having intentional conversations, particularly when you are trying to shift an organization to a new understanding of well-being, and that might include transforming culture. So we have a paper that lays out a framework for how to have intentional conversations. I'm happy to share that. 
with your listeners. Great. We will put a link to that in our show notes. Rebecca, you've given us so much to think about or new ways to think about the things that we were already thinking about. I'm so glad that we met one another at the Healthy Workplace Summit a couple of months ago. And thank you so much for coming on the Change Academy podcast. It was my pleasure, Monica. Thank you for the good work you do. In the show notes, as promised, you will find a link to the paper that outlines Rebecca's framework for approaching those difficult conversations, as well as links to her company, Vital Solutions, and her LinkedIn profile. I hope you'll connect with her. Maybe she will be the person that helps you build your skill set or broaden your network of alliances. I know she's done both of those things for me. And for those of you who might be looking for programs that can sit at the top of a company's well-being hierarchy, I'd love to talk with you about how we might partner on impactful wellness programming and initiatives for your workplace. You can email me at hello at changeacademypodcast.com. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Change Academy Podcast with Monica Reinagel. Our show is produced by me, Brock Armstrong. You'll find links to everything Monica mentioned in today's episode in our show notes, as well as on our website at changeacademypodcast.com, where you can also send us an email or leave us a voicemail. If you're finding this podcast helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or even better, give our show a rating or review in your favorite podcast app. Or, best of all, share this episode with a friend or colleague you think would enjoy it. Now here's to the changes we choose.